0: The whole camp was going down with what felt like a a GI bug. People were running out of toilet paper, it was horrid.
1: Hello, and welcome to series three of the award-winning Sport and Performance Psychology Podcast, 80% Mental. My name is Dr. Pete Olishaga, I'm a senior lecturer in psychology and a consultant in sports psychology, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be back for another series. I say that like I've been invited back. It's my own podcast. I can do as many episodes as I want, really. I suppose what I mean is I'm delighted to have been able to make more episodes of this because it's one of the most fun things that I've ever done, even if it is fairly labor-intensive. Anyway, if you haven't listened before, I generally start with a question About the psychology of performance. And then I invite special guests to help me answer that question. Series one explored some of the key psychological skills that athletes and other performers might use by asking things like what is anxiety? How do I set good goals? What's the deal with mindfulness? Series two focused more on some of the applications of psychology, so dealing with injury how to be a good sports parent, uh, developing team culture. But the series also tackled important issues as well. So I explored racism in sport and issues of cultural awareness and diversity. Now, in this series, I'm abandoning the let's ask a question format altogether, because quite frankly, it's annoying to have to think of those titles. So each episode in this series will be about the psychology of something. And I'm going to explore as many different areas of performance as I can, some to do with sport, but others to do with some hopefully interesting areas of performance that fall outside of the sport world. So to kick things off, this first episode of Series 3 is going to explore the psychology of endurance. More specifically, we're going to be exploring the psychology of ultra-endurance events, the ultra-marathons, the Ironman triathlons. Why do people put themselves through it? What are the psychological skills and attributes that help athletes get through races that last full weeks, sometimes? So the titles of the episodes might have changed, but the need for me to talk to experts hasn't. So it's my pleasure to introduce the first of my two guests, Greg Hewitt. Greg's the managing director at Rock Oil in the UK, but is also a bit of an endurance athlete. Uh, He's recently completed a 100-kilometer race across the Lake District, Uh, the Ultra Trail Snowdonia, which is uh, 100 kilometers around Snowdonia, with enough elevation, I'm told, to have summited Snowdon seven times. It's quite steep. Uh, So many marathons and half marathons that he's lost count, and last year, Greg completed the Marathon de Saab uh, in October. Uh, Greg, welcome to 80% Mental.
0: Oh, thank you, Peter.
1: Um, Greg, for people who aren't sure, could you just give us a quick breakdown of what the Marathon de Saab actually involves?
0: Uh, okay. it's uh, I mean, their kind of buzz title is the toughest foot race on earth. It's six marathons, or the equivalent of six marathons in seven days across the Sahara Desert um in morocco and you have to be self-sufficient um for the week um with the exception of water and a tent so you have to carry all your own gear food um all that kind of mental baggage as well for the week um, and it's all on you and if you forget anything then it's tough
1: well, well we'll get into that in a little bit we'll get into sort of the ins and outs of it in a bit but you know if you haven't. Uh, come across the marathon to saw before I urge you to go and look it up because it's an insane event so yeah I'm really looking forward to kind of chatting to you a little bit about that um, I'm also really pleased to introduce my other guest Dr. Amy Whitehead uh, Amy is a reader in sports psychology and coaching at Liverpool John Moores University uh, an HCPC registered sport and exercise psychologist and Amy, I'm right in thinking that you're a bit of an athlete yourself as well. I can see you've got, you've got two bikes in your room there behind you.
2: <laughs> a little bit. Uh, I, I dabble in triathlon. I've done a few ultras um, and I did Ironman last year.
1: Okay. Well, Amy, welcome to, uh, to the podcast. And I'm really looking forward to, to kind of getting your perspective on, on some of these things as well. So I'm going to start with uh, with Greg. You've done quite a few endurance events now, as I said in the introduction. And the marathon Saab was, I don't know, is it fair to say that was maybe your biggest undertaking?
0: Um, I, yeah, it's it was the first really big one, and um, I think there's so much unknown, and yeah, just I, I think it tests everything, you know. And going into the middle of Sahara and trying to deal with that heat as well, it's you know, it just adds an extra dimension to it.
1: Well, I mean, I knew you as a student. Greg and I uh, did our degrees together at Sheffield University an undisclosed number of years ago. Um, <laughs> and as, as a student, you played rugby, didn't you? You know, short, yep. sharp intervals, bursts of energy, and then beers afterwards. Again, an yep. undisclosed number of beers, right? Yep. What on earth made you want to do something like the Marathon des Sables?
0: Well, people don't hit you in the Marathon des Sables, so that was probably the... <laughs> <laughs> Um, the first thing and then you know as those undisclosed number of years go by you get a little bit slower and um kind of you know the the kind of injuries from sport probably hurt a little bit more but uh, yeah I, I think covid um covid kind of romance stupidity probably got me into um being i'm not quite sure which order it was but yeah, you know, probably the romance, I was kind of going through a bit of a breakup and um, sort of, yeah, kind of that self-doubt and and whatever that happens uh, when these, these things occur. Um, so I'd started training pretty hard. And then when COVID landed and the gym shut and I was living on my own, that was it. It was kind of, it was a respite uh, as much as anything. So I just started running and kind of using that hour a day. And then kind of... I think, as it sounds, there is a bit of romance attached to the Marathon style. There's something quite magical about it, if that doesn't sound too kind of nutty. Um, <laughs> you know, but, you know, you know, sleeping in the middle of the Sahara Desert, running through sand dunes, etc. that you see on all these films, there's something quite uh, thing. And I've been aware about it for years. And then I think the stupidity aspect, well, I think you have to be a little bit silly to go and do it in the first place. Uh, and there was a common theme with everyone I met out there that they're all all slightly, um, bizarre. Um, but yeah, I I was chatting with someone at work, um, during the middle of one of the lockdowns and, um, they said, you know, what are you going to do with your running? And I said, well, you know, I'd really love to do the marathon. So they were asking me about it. So I looked it up and the entries were open. So I'd entered the race before we finished the conversation and then just sat there thinking, what on earth have I done? Um, (laughs) so, yeah, I then did the honourable thing and told as many people as possible, so I couldn't actually back out of it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, just kind of went from there. Really.
1: Okay, so a combination of kind of lockdown boredom, a little bit of a uh, well, I don't want to use the word midlife, mid-life crisis, but uh, you know, I will. I used it, so it's fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but then you find yourself in the middle of the uh, middle of the desert in October, running a, a, a seven-day race. Yeah,
0: yeah, and do you know what? I... I I don't regret a thing, you know, it's only added, uh, it's only added to things. So it's, it was a wise, stupid decision.
1: Amy, obviously you've got the, uh, the psychology expertise here. But as you mentioned, you're also into endurance events. You do a little bit of triathlons. What was it that drew you to uh, that type of, of sport?
2: Yeah. So similar, similar things that Greg was talking about there. Um, COVID was a big Influencer into me signing up for the Ironman, <laughs> um, and I guess I'm. I think when COVID hit, I thought, right, I need to make the most at this time. Stupidly, I thought I was going to have loads of time on my hands, but it didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work out that way. And um, but in terms of the nature of kind of ultra events or endurance events, I think for me, it's about it's all on you. Um, you're not relying on anybody else. And I remember I, I'm, it, when I talk about ultra, the, f- the furthest I've ever run is 43 miles. I'm not sure what that converts to in kilometers. Um, so that was that was tough enough in itself, but it takes you to another place. Like, and I'm sure we can talk about this Greg, but you kind of, you, you know yourself on a different level because you ne- you'll never ever push yourself to, to them places in normal everyday life. So for me, it's kind of seeing how far you can push your mind and your body, um, and even the training that leads up to that is an achievement in itself, um, and it's a, a process and like it sounds a bit crazy saying this, but an enjoyable one. Um, so yeah, I think for me, it's all about kind of where I can push myself on a personal level, um, and that's kind of where what why I went into endurance. So for triathlon I couldn't swim in 2018 um so like running I was okay at cycling you know riding a bike you know you can um you're not gonna drown riding a bike <laughs> <laughs> and that was my biggest fear for Man is like I need to just not that was my goal to get through the swim is just finish it and not sink yeah um so yeah like I had to teach myself to swim but I think it's individual, so you've got these personal little goals that you're always achieving. And once you get kind of the longer the distance, the less it is about winning or times. And it's just more about personal achievement, That for me anyway. Yeah,
1: yeah I know quite a lot of people who've uh, come from competitive sports when they were perhaps younger and as they've got older and moved out of competitive sport, sort of feel the need to, to compete maybe or or kind of find some of that competition, but it's more within themselves. Is that that sort of ring true with, with you?
2: Yeah. Like you, Greg played rugby. I played national league basketball until I know if I was 30. Um, and yeah, like I needed something to keep going. Obviously being physically active was really important. It's part of who I am and my identity. Um, but yeah, I just want, and starting a new, even, even within endurance, you could start like a new, I could do a different distance of triathlon or a different distance of an event. And it's, you, do, you start in a new activity or a new event and you, you train training your mind and your body to, to deal with, um, like preparing for, for different disciplines within that bigger discipline. So yeah, totally. Um, it's a way to kind of maintain my athletic identity.
1: Greg, what do you what do you think about that? Does, does any of that ring true with you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think people, a lot of people, sort of, you know, it's the common question when you tell them what you've done, they'll ask, you know, why do you do it? And then I think depending on my relationship with that person and actually why they're asking, I've got different answers. Um, you know, this one's going to be kind of deep one, and, and try and get to the real kind of nuts and bolts of it, but. I think my kind of standard one for, you know, a quick conversation when you're meeting someone is I want to see what's possible. I want to know what I can actually achieve and, you know, and then that can not I don't want to break myself, but I actually want to see okay, well, how far can I push myself, you know, and I know these things are achievable because other people have done them, but am I capable of doing it and, uh, you know, will my well, my mind and body hold um, true through that because that's the thing. It, as Amy said, it, it takes you to places that you, you don't ever go to otherwise, um, probably for good reasons. But um, <laughs>
2: uh,
0: yeah, you know, and that that bit afterwards um, is just phenomenal. When you you know when you coming away, um, you know, unashamedly, I've probably cried after every insurance race I've ever had. <laughs> Um, you know, sometimes quite openly and sometimes, you know, quite privately where you just emotionally, it just, um, gets you. It's, yeah, it's, it's weird.
1: It's a real sort of almost journey of, of, I guess, personal discovery, isn't it? Challenging yourself, seeing how, how far you can push yourself, seeing what you can do. And yeah, sort of real, real self discovery. Absolutely, Amy. You mentioned your your first event was, I think, a triathlon. Did you say? Mm -hmm. um, So when you're when you're at the start line for the first time in one of these things, right? And you know that something big, something that you've not done before. What's What's actually going through your mind at that point?
2: Because I'm a sports psychologist, obviously, I've I've prepared as much as I physically can. so if I go back to my first ever triathlon, I think it was in 2000 and I think it was like 2018. It was like a beginner triathlon. It was in a swimming pool. So I only had to do 16 lengths in a pool, but that was like mega for me at the time mm-hmm. because I literally, like I did it breaststroke. I was still having lessons with like the over 50s in the local pool. Um, but I think I just took it as like because it was a new activity it was it doesn't it didn't matter what like what the outcome was because it was i'm i'm, I'm still in like the honeymoon phase with the the sport mm-hmm. um and anything i do at that point is progress because i've never done it before so the first time at <clears throat> any distance for me is always like fun and just kind of let's like see what i can do but then like over the next couple of years, so I've done one Ironman and now I'm thinking, right, I really need to not kind of think, right, I need to beat my time because, you know, the second or, so the, second or the third, I might enjoy it less because I'm too fixated on time. Sorry, I'm not answering your original question here. <laughs> but oh, this maybe is a question for Greg, like after this, if Greg was to do the marathon, this up again, like what, would it be the same or would it be different in terms of, he's done, you've done it once now, Greg, like what what would be different from your kind of, how you prepare, from your mindset, from doing the event itself. Um, yeah, sorry, I've completely ruined No, 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 you
1: go, you go
0: ahead. <laughs> it's a funny one, because I am actually thinking about going back. Um, mm-hmm. So I think half of our, yeah, half of our tent finished half didn't that year it was the dropout rate was pretty high and the kind of the bond within the tent you know they're they're friends for life now and um i they're all the ones that didn't make it are all talking about going back in 24 and i'd really like to be there with them to kind of share that experience you know we had such good fun and i think i i don't know what would be Better. I think just you, you know the unknowns, if that makes any sense, and, and and I, whenever I'm going into anything, I'm trying to take as many of those out as possible. So going into it last time, my biggest fear was, you know, can I do it, um, and, you know, how we're going to react to the heat, but you know, can I do it? There's, there's lots of kind of bits that make that up. And I I'd, I'd recruited a coach because in, so the race was supposed to be in the January originally. And in sorry in april and in the january they had this expo and the uh, kind of race organizer from the uk uh, angle came on and he had these top 10 tips number one was overtraining is the biggest single reason for not making the start line so okay fine you know and i, I was doing about 50 miles a week at the time and then Another guy who has done a lot of marathon sablers, as in more than 10, um, and has coached a lot of people through it, he came on and someone asked him what the athletes he was coaching, how much they were doing, and I think they were doing about 110 miles a week. And I sat there going, oh, my God, I'm kind of way off the market. And then mm-hmm. the second coach came on and I kind of – I found her a lot more relatable. She'd she'd won the uh, women's events of MDS. And we're very pragmatic, but it kind of felt much more in tune with me. So I, I dropped her a message afterwards and sort of said, listen, this is what's happened. I'm now really nervy about where my training is. Would you be prepared to work with me? Um, so we had a kind of an interview. Uh, I think it was probably the best description two days later. <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, it was. And I kind of sat there kind of trying to prove myself on this, um, this call. And uh, I said, yeah, you know, I'll work with you. I like what you're doing. And, and we did some uh, bits. And that took away a big kind of nervousness to me because I had complete faith in what she was telling me to do. You know, her, her record spoke for itself. I think she had a, she had a 100% success rate in coaching people through MDS as well. So stood on the start line, I sort of I'd removed that doubt, but then it was okay. Well, how am I going to cope with the other bits? How am I going to cope with the heat? Because you can't really replicate that anywhere else. Mm. Um, I'd done some things in in terms of the sauna and training and, and whatever. I don't know whether it'd be a more enjoyable experience next time because I've removed a lot of the doubts. I know I can do it, but then I. I I actually did quite well in it as well. Um, so then there's this thing of going, like you saying, you know, do I chase the that time? I, in reality, I'm unlikely to ever beat that placing. Um, I mean,
1: just just for, for our listeners, Greg, when you say quite well, I feel like you've been being, being quite modest there. Uh,
0: you know, I, I came 59th, which uh, I think 750 people started and 375-ish finished. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I did quite well. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> yeah. Far better than I expected.
1: No, Matt, I, I think it was, a, it was absolutely amazing. Cause I obviously tracked your progress, uh, via the website. which was just continually amazed day to day at sort of mm-hmm. how well you were, you were doing. Not that I wasn't expecting you to do well. That sounds terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I was just like really impressed genuinely with, with kind of, you know, because I knew how, how much effort that you'd put into to, to the training. Um, y- you mentioned there about standing at the start line and and some of the unknowns, like the weather, the heat. How are you going to cope with that? What, what else? What are some of the the biggest challenges, really? I guess in 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 completing that race or in undertaking that
0: race. Oh, I, I think MDS is is a weird one. Um, because you've got the endurance of the actual stages and how you manage those, but then you are
2: uh,
0: you're stuck in a camp for seven days with very little contact from the outside world. There's a messages coming in, and you know you were you were kind enough to write to me, and they were they were kind of a. We were sat there like um, expats and chicks when the um, when the kind of the, <laughs> the MDS team are coming around with the letters. You know, like who's written to me today? It was you know, and that was kind of it was it was a break from kind of the monotony of just lying there in the heat and whatever. So, and you so the endurance of just kind of being there with, and you were hungry as well because you've you had to carry your food. So everyone was going into a significant calorie deficit for the week. Um, And I think I lost five kilos in the week. Um, So that affects, well, it certainly affects my mood uh, when I'm hungry. Um, So managing that um, and managing the different personalities, everyone's tired as well. You don't sleep particularly well. There was quite a lot of illness around. So there was a fear of, you know, am I going to, catch this because no one kind of really knew what it was um Mm -hmm. so yes you've got all those challenges and then just when you're in the race as well and you and you knew it was hot and that not might sound as daft as it actually does but you know it was unusually hot that year it was greater than 50 degrees um and i think peaked at 57 on day two Mm -hmm. so it was you know it was significantly hot and i'd I've read a lot of um, the data on how heat affects you and how the performance drops off. Um, you know, 30 degrees is kind of where it starts to become serious and the, the graph um, really takes on an upward curve. 40 degrees, yeah, it's it's getting horrid. So 50 degrees, I don't think I'd actually walk <laughs> that far. But so there was that management of your kind of your data and going, well, I know where my heart rate is. I need to keep that in a kind of... Um, in a kind of a really nice zone. So ignore the pace and, and things like that. So it Mm. it, it, there was a lot to think about. And if I, if I sort of go back and reflect on after the race, I don't think I understood how mentally battered I was after it. And to the point where I was, um, probably wasn't that fun to be around for uh, certainly a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I struggled to deal with kind of how well I'd done and then just putting it all together and I think just it yeah, I was mentally just shattered afterwards and probably for about three months. Yeah. Um so yeah, that kind of undertaking. Whereas physically it wasn't that bad and I'm not trying to kind of play it being Superman there, but mm. the great the greatest challenge was that mental aspect to it.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot to contend with, you know, he said, talked about the downtime, the boredom to deal with the unknowns of the weather, the dealing with different personalities in the tent. And, yeah. and, and I'm really interested in that, that sort of period after the race, because I don't think we really consider that so much. Uh, and especially to hear you say that it went on for, for months afterwards. Um, Amy, you know, from your perspective as a psychologist, you know, what, what do you make of what you've just heard there from from greg and how might you help to effectively prepare an athlete for something like that
2: yeah i mean greg's what i'd describe the the post kind of feelings is like post-race blues as well like i definitely had that from after ironman because you go through this period of you need to let your body recover you've just put it through a hell of a you know hell of a lot so you need to let your body recover but you've just spent the last you know year or more in this training routine that you you, you can't be you can't do it at, at that moment in time because you need to let your body and um, rest and um, you're then in this thing of well I've done that big event now like you know what's next or who am I if I'm not training for this marathon or um it's like it's kind of like any like big event that people work up to like if doing a PhD once you finish PhD you're like oh right N- now what like my existence the point of my existence for the last year is now done so yeah that is a there's a real big period there and from a spot site perspective I'd always when I work with an athlete get them to prepare for that so you know what can we put in place um, <clears throat> to help you to plan for the post-race kind of periods like I'm the coach that was giving me advice was like he told me you will feel this way um you're like you 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 need to not do these types of because sometimes you think oh I can go out and do a run or I can go out for a ride but actually it's so detrimental to your body because you're in a stage of like your immune system's at risk there's all sorts of kind of um health issues associated with training immediately after that event so it's kind of Putting other things in there to manage my time, I guess, or manage, manage people's time. Um, Pre race, one of the questions I have for you, Greg, um, and this is something that we don't really talk about as much because it's not really pleasant is like gut problems. Mm-hmm. So, like nutrition and gut issues, is, like for, for me with Ironman, and I, I, I talk about Ironman, and I think it's so insignificant compared to what you've done oh. with the marathon to sub. But, like one of the that that was one of the things that um, and a couple of I, I did the rest with a couple of colleagues and you can't really train for that. You don't you, your body you can't train to put your gut and your digestive system through like the amount of exercise and the type of kind of nutrients that you're putting in your body or you're not putting in your body. So did you have kind of gut issues?
0: No, I, I didn't. Um And that was actually part of the reason for the big withdrawal. And, you know, so it was all around and it became such a big fear factor. Um, And, you know, without wishing to sound too grim, maybe this will be something that gets cut from this. But, you know, (laughs) but we had people, so we were in the height of COVID, we still had to have face masks on. for kind of bus or whatever went going to and from the race. People were running out of toilet paper. So you had the the whole camp was kind of going down with it, what felt like a, a GI bug because of the, mm-hmm. the, the kind of state of it. And I remember day three, we lost two of the lads from the tent that day. I mean, one had seven units of fluid put into via IV drip that night. Mm-hmm. And I remember wandering down and it was as close as I've ever sort of, or what I would imagine to a sort of battlefield kind of hospital. Station. It was horrid. But then during the night, you can just hear people being violently ill um, mm. all around you. And I don't think any of us really slept. So you had this thing where you kind of, people are running out of toilet roll. You're hearing it all around you. So it's just, you're almost kind of waiting for it. It was, I was massively fortunate in that I wasn't wasn't particularly ill. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I took very, very simple foods, um, which became going back to the kind of endurance element, came a bit of or became a bit of an endurance aspect anyway, because I was eating the same porridge for breakfast every day. It was bland as hell. It was just mixed with water. Um, I think you have blueberry porridge. You know, I never, ever want to see blueberry porridge again, <laughs> ever. <laughs> so if I go the back... next I'm, time
1: you do the marathon dessert, right? Yeah, maybe I'll go for apple <laughs> or
0: something then. But um, So we had this sort of thing, but yeah, that, that kind of nervousness and, and hearing it round you, yeah, it was, yeah, that became an endurance aspect in itself. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it, it's a huge thing and um,
2: uh, yeah, it,
0: but it, it affects everyone um
2: yeah. yeah and going back to kind of one of the questions uh, pete asked me earlier about <clears throat> preparing you know what you have what you're thinking uh um, on, on the start line and the reason i asked about you know if you did the race again you know how would you feel it's because like i when i'm working with endurance athletes <clears throat> and they've done a race and they've done really well and then they'll be like feeling some athletes i've worked with are feeling so anxious for this race because they know that they've done well and they're like i really want to beat my time but i spend so much time talking to them about you know what if you don't (laughs) Mm -hmm. um so you've spent all this money all this time all this training and you just you don't want to hate the event because you know things might not work out the weather might not be the same Um, The conditions might not be the same. You just might not be feeling as good that day. But if you know you're not going to beat your time halfway through, you still want to be able to get as much enjoyment out of the event as physically possible. Um, I say enjoyment in a loose sense. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's kind of changing these perceptions to like time and and place and more about the, the process and getting the most out of the process as possible. So I always talk about... You know, what's your plan A, but what's your plan B and C, and maybe D as well. Uh, yeah, I, I would
0: completely agree. In that, I I've done two uh, two events since MDS, and the first one I was a little bit focused on how I was going to perform, and there's and it was horrid. I, I came down with well, I, I tested positive for COVID about two and a half days later, so I don't know mm. whether I was actually ill during the event, but. I was in a whole world of horribleness for large sections of that uh, thing. and um, But then afterwards, when I was kind of reflecting on it, I was like, well, you've pulled yourself through and in spite of feeling pretty horrid. So then that's it's that challenge uh, and how I'm responding to those, that's the bit I'm looking forward to now. And then the time and, and where you place becomes almost like a byproduct. and. Mm-hmm. And the one in Snowdonia uh, a couple of weeks ago was a, a really, really tough race, but that mental aspect of just being able to flow with it and and enjoy how I got through it, and you know, and how I responded to some challenges that happened in that race, that became far more rewarding than than wherever I finished and and uh, the aftermath. So, I think you actually yeah. gain more happiness and satisfaction out of it that way.
1: So this is 80% Mental. I'm here with Dr. Amy Whitehead and Greg Hewitt. And we're talking about the psychology of endurance, what motivates people to take up that kind of sport, to put themselves through that type of event. And we talked about how in the in, in these types of events, the process is really important. We talk about the processes a lot in sports psychology, but particularly I think in these events where there's so many unknowns perhaps focusing on the process becomes maybe more important. Um, we, we, we just started before the break talking about the mental aspects of the actual event itself. So we talked a little bit about preparing for it, but actually getting through the event itself. Now, the uh, psychobiological model of endurance suggests that endurance isn't just about going to like a level of physical exhaustion. There's a really important psychological component there. So people tend to give up when they're putting themselves through these types of things where the task requires more effort than they're willing to put in or when they feel like they're already giving maximum effort and can't give anymore. The task is just impossible. Either way, it's the perception of effort that's the important thing here, okay? Uh, physiologists might talk about this as a rate of perceived exertion. So my my question to you both, I guess, and I'll start with Amy as a psychologist, is when we are in a a race like that, in an endurance event, how can you influence how much effort you feel like you're putting in? How can you influence this rate of perceived exertion? Are there any strategies or skills that the athletes might use to be able to make it feel a little bit easier?
2: Um, yeah, I think, well, everyone's got their own strategies, but I think, uh, and Greg, I'd be interested to see what Greg thinks, but a lot of endurance athletes use, like, chunking as a strategy. So you kind of break up the race into either checkpoints checkpoints is always the one that's quite common, um, dist- or different distances, it could, you could be chunking into... Um, it depends on how long the race is, night and day. You could have kind of multiple levels of chunks. <laughs> so you've got, uh, you might use terrain and an incline as well. So I know that when I've done ultra runs, I've chunked very much into checkpoints because you know that there's more food and, and drink there. But also, in, like depending on how like uh, how many hills you've got to go, and um, so mentally your strategy might be around how much effort you're going to put in at these different points i personally will go right i know i've got a really hard section i'm going to chill not care about the time or the speed and just enjoy my surroundings so i'll put kind of different strategies in um at different points depending on level of performer as well i think you've got different strategies like such as you know distraction techniques A lot of novice runners will use things like music and a kind of daydreaming. Um, Some athletes have mantras, but I think like for someone like Greg doing like these ultra events, I think chunking, using food uh, as part of that chunking as a reward point, Mm. Um, sometimes daydreaming (laughs) taking yourself to another place. Um, mindfulness has become really big now within endurance uh, running. So yeah, I think off the top of my head, they're kind of the main obvious kind of psychological strategies. But I'd be interested to know what Greg's been using in in these in the biggies.
0: <laughs> I didn't realise I've been using chunking, up, that that was actually a uh, kind of strategy. It was just that was yeah subliminal, really. But yeah, you, you, you're exactly right, and and that that can yeah it can be chunking within chunking as well you know that you
2: mm.
0: you know you, you're in a section and you're on a on a bit of a tough hill it's it's hurting so you kind of write. you know what there's only five more minutes here let's get through that and then it you know there's, it's a good section there or you know i can open my legs there i i kind of my big one and you know i've been reflecting on this beforehand would be there's the why why am i doing it um and that changes over time as well. And I think if we, you know, if we go back to the MDS one, you know, I, I'd said kind of what motivated me to do that. There were some big whys there. There was that self discovery, a bit of boredom, and proving proving to myself what I was capable of. But then that changes as you go along. And and perhaps in the, the lakes one where I was really struggling as well, you know, I had to really delve into that. And actually I found in that race that the whys had changed, and rather than becoming kind of a big why became almost like a basket of whys if you like and there were lots Mm. of little things Um, but then the kind of one that i I try and go back to and i'd I'd say i have kind of three states while i'm running um and i try to if if i'm struggling would be sort of a a pull technique to just pull myself along with positive bits and the the whys will fit in there but I, i think about um, you know, things that are really important to me, loved ones, kids. Okay, you know, what probably a little bit of that chunking again. Okay, well, I'm going to get some food here, or there's a bit of rest. I can change some clothes um, and nice things rather, cause I, particularly in an ultra traffic event. I don't think dig in and you can only sustain that for so long. You know, it's just, you know, the last race was 26 and a half hours. <laughs> so, you know, dig in. You can't maintain that mental state for, very long. I well I can't anyway. So I, I really like that positive state and and that then becomes kind of a, a distraction and, and try and get myself into kind of like a flow state where things are just kind of happening. And then on kind of tough sections where it is kind of digging or you know if you're feeling pretty grim probably reflect back to training where it's been hard um so you know that you can deal with these tough sections and that you've got the skill set to actually get through it and the, that knowing that you'll pop out of it as well and i don't know what it's like on iron man but certainly on the ultras you kind of there's like a bit of a wave for me where you'll have periods of time where you could have felt really crappy for a portion of the race beforehand but you pop out of it and you suddenly end up in this zen-like state where your legs start working again and everything feels good and and you're just going. And I have this thing of going, just really enjoy those bits because you are probably gonna pop back down into a hole again later on and uh, stuff. So yeah, just enjoy those. So it's, yeah, combinations of those, I think.
2: Uh, Yeah, I've had similar, definitely had uh, similar experiences. And another thing, that I use a lot, and I get try and get my clients to use a lot is spectators. And I'm, I'm not, you probably don't know what it's like in the marathon start, but I'm, you have <laughs> a lot of spectators in other events, Greg. But Ironman Bolton <clears throat> last year, like, I like I, this is, sounds a bit odd, but every time someone's cheering for me, I'll take that as energy, and I'll, I'll kind of imagine myself as this like empty battery and every like cheer every uh, cowbell it's like filling me back up again mm-hmm. um and I think like use like thanking spectators and and using gratitudes is something that I personally use quite a lot and try and get my clients to use is that we're paying for these things we've got the privilege of being able to you know train to to be there to be in these places all around the world to like I can afford a a nice bike and and some good trainers so it's like when you are in your real low point it's Amy, you've got legs like how privileged are you um to, to even be in this situation so sometimes yeah the gratitude is something that I'll um try and use a lot um just be like grateful that there's people out there giving up their day just to watch people run in circles or cycling circles. Um, and, and yeah, and try and kind of take as much energy from my surroundings as possible.
1: Well, there's some really fascinating stuff there. I think Greg, you talked about having like a basket of different whys. We often talk about finding your why, why are you doing this? What's the kind of ultimate purpose? But you know, it's really interesting to hear that you talk about having lots of different ones and that they change as well. Yeah, perhaps even through a particular event as well as sort of before and after. Um, and, then, Amy, you've kind of just brought up a, a whole bunch of different strategies as well so there's some imagery in there as well so using the spectators and literally mm-hmm. kind of pulling their energy out into yourself and uh and, and that sense of gratitude as well and, and, and sort of privilege being lucky to be in this position um if, if anyone is sort of interested uh in in some of these strategies um noel brick and his colleagues wrote a paper in 2014 mm-hmm. um, we often talk about the idea of association and disassociation So when you're in these events, you'll either focus on what it is that you're doing really intently, so you focus on the fact that your legs feel tired, uh, or you focus on your breathing, it's kind of association type strategies, or disassociation, which is more the distraction type stuff, so deliberately thinking of something else. So what Brick and his colleagues did was they kind of extended this model and extended this idea to talk about different types of association so internal association where we're focusing on uh internal processes sensory monitoring so things like breathing or soreness or fatigue or or thirst for example but also more active self-regulation they called it so controlling or or just monitoring your own thoughts your own feelings your own technique for example um but they also talked about this idea of external association as well so you this was kind of some of the stuff that Amy was talking about. And I think this is almost like the chunking that you were talking about as well. So you're focusing on splits on the route, uh, on mile markers and so on. And then they talked about, uh, dissociation strategies. So thinking about something else, but in terms of two different ways of distraction, so this active distraction, so doing it on purpose. So daydreaming, or something, this is something I do, sort of doing like maths puzzles and stuff in your head while, you, while you're training um, or imagining music, right? But this involuntary distraction as well. They talked about this idea of just sort of getting lost in what's going on. So noticing the other competitors or the scenery or just kind of irrelevant daydreams that you don't really have on purpose. It just happens. Uh, and Greg, I think you were kind of almost alluding to that a little bit when you were talking about perhaps the conditions for getting into that flow state where you're just sort of absorbing what's going on but not really consciously trying to. Um, but it's a, it's a really uh, good paper for anybody who's interested in, in sort of finding out a little bit more about some of that stuff. Um, Greg, obviously you're, you're, you're not a psychologist. Um, wh- where did you pick up some of the, the skills and strategies that you've used? Because it seems like you've got quite a lot of things that you go to. Is that just from experience? Is that from... Um, kind of other people kind of giving you ideas. Where, where did you pick up some of this stuff? I,
0: I think some of it just comes from having been in the races and having completed them, and and sadly going through a bit of suffering and and coming out the other side and going well, do you know what that worked. Now some of some of that can come through the training in terms, you know, if you're doing interval work or, um, you know, it's something that's pretty unpleasant or even the long run where you start starting to, to push out and do it, then you pick that up. Um, you know, when when you and I met each other at university, my kind of dream was to, to go off and be a Royal Marine and go and roll in the mud and um, <laughs> do that, you know, it, it was kind of a it probably didn't involve doing what I would class as a serious job, so it was it seemed like quite a nice option. You'd kind of kept fit and um, and had some good crack with uh, with people. Um, so I'd had a, a reasonable involvement with them, and and I think the, the thing that always stood out to me was that they were, yeah, you've got to prepare. You know, you have to be. You know, your kit had to be in good order. So you'd done all that sort of work beforehand. But also that you you had to have the, the attitude with it as well and that positivity, and I think that kind of flows through into where I was before and sort of saying you know, look into that thing you know whether it's your wives or whether it's kids or whatever it is it's important to you that kind of snaps You know, the aim was talking about surroundings. I mean, ultras are generally in really beautiful places, um, so you've got that to just kind of enjoy it and and actually if you if you have that attitude, I think it's good. There was a, a thing, and I, I use this in everyday life, um, where I think it's the advanced motorcycling course, where they actually teach you to crash. Not in terms of how to land on the ground, but you know, if, if you imagine a bike that's overshooting a corner and you're going into some trees, the natural instinct is to say, don't hit that tree. But then, by looking at the tree, you're actually pulling your body and the bike towards the tree. Mm. Where, so they say, right? You know, it's hit the gap, and that's my general mindset in terms of actually. If you get sucked into, don't hit the tree, or you know, oh my knees feeling really bad, or, or whatever it is, you're gonna hit the tree. Yeah. Where. You know, whereas actually, if it's hit the gap, right, you might glance a tree, you know, you might still hit a tree because you're unlucky or whatever it is. And that's, that's, that's live. That's in, you know, ultra running or, or ultra event, endurance events. But actually, I, I feel you've got a better chance of coming out the other side with that attitude of going, well, no, do you know what? I, I am going to make the next checkpoints and then I'm going to regroup, I'm going to refuel, I'm going to do that, I'm going to change some gear or whatever. Cause, Take my feet, whatever it is that you need to do, but I'm going to get myself to there, and then I'm going to have that reset, and, and off we go. And so I, I think that that positive attitude, and I don't mean positivity in terms of you know I'm going to be an Olympic hundred meter gold medalist, which I know ne- you know I was never going to be that. I think that's, that's just setting yourself up to to kind of yeah. you no know, realistic positivity. I think if you have that, you have a have a really kind of good chance of kind of making it.
2: Would you say, like, optimism rather than posit- positivity?
0: Yes, that's probably a um, – this is why you're the doctor and I just kind of r- – <laughs> r- r- <laughs> r- r- So you,
1: you mentioned there um, about things that you say to yourself, and I'm interested because, you you know, you, you said earlier that, you know, the sort of motivational stuff, to uh, dig in, come on, you know – doesn't necessarily work when you're running for 26 hours right it might work for a sort of shorter uh race but you know I'm interested in in like if you can remember if you can think back like what kind of things were you thinking about like what kind of self-talk was there because I imagine there's some pretty dark moments in there as well
0: uh yeah and and it varied so if we go back to NDS it, it varied day by day and and I I did some I did some stuff in there. You know, I had some mental hooks um, that I kind of used in that. I, I Because it was such a big event and, uh, you know, it wasn't a cake bake, I I, I did it for sponsorship. Uh, so I did it for breast cancer and because uh, a number of people I kind of knew had been affected by it. And then I think the more I did it, the more people came out of the woodwork that had also been affected by it so i actually ran with the names of i think it was nine ladies on my shirt that had been affected by it some hadn't made it some had made full recoveries and then some had taken proactive decisions um for you know one lady had had a full mastectomy quite young um because she knew she had the gene and had lost her mum um And I I kind of had those on and I had my kids' names on my shirt as well. And it was a thing, there's that natural thing, your head comes down so I could actually look down and see these names. And Mm -hmm. I remember thinking as well, saying, you know, doesn't matter how hard you're finding this right now, they've had it tougher. So, and I think that was quite a nice, um, it was quite a nice reminder of, you know, yeah, I've paid to do this. I'm I'm putting myself in this. People end up in endurance situations in in daily life, which they have to get through. And that that was kind of one that kind of flashed through on a daily basis. The, the, and the kids were there, kind of to make me smile. And and there was an effort of so come on, you know. I'll, they told the friends what I was doing. So there's that bit of you know make them kind of proud of what I've done. Mm-hmm. But then as you know, as we were losing tent mates, uh, you know, they were retiring rather than actually losing them. Um but uh, <laughs> you know it became about kind of the tent and and actually that we wanted the you know to do it for the tent and do it for the lads who hadn't made it, you know, and and actually they all waited around as well at their own expense for us to come back and and that was quite a humbling experience and we didn't know when we were still running whether that was actually going to happen. Yeah, and then there were there were some words of wisdom as well. You know, you, you were again very kind to send me a few notes while I was out there, and, and some some a lot of people I really respect saying um, stuff. I'd, I'd kind of go back and think about what people were saying to me. You never told me about chunking, by the way. <laughs> it could have been really useful
1: well funnily enough i was gonna—I was—I was gonna i was <laughs> i was gonna send you before you went there's a, a documentary on netflix called losers i think i have mentioned it on the podcast before i don't oh, know if you've yeah. seen it but one of, it. one of the episodes is about a guy who does the marathon to Saab, and it's supposed to be this kind of really uplifting story of, of sort of endurance and and you know but i sort of suddenly realized i thought well Actually, what happens in the story is that you get lost and spend several days wandering around the desert and almost die. So for actually, probably not the best thing to send you before you go and leave that to when you get back.
0: Uh, I actually watched that with my girlfriend about Did you? Uh, two months before I went and she was there crying <laughs> her eyes out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it wasn't the um, it wasn't the motivational. Um, no. It's so- a good
1: documentary though
0: yeah yeah it's uh yeah th- there are some really good ones on it um yeah I, yeah i don't so know
1: is, Sorry, go on. i was gonna say some some, some really interesting things there because again you're going back to uh the why a couple of reminders as to why you're doing it but combined with um a bit of that reminders of privilege and gratitude that amy was talking about earlier as well um amy what are you what are you hearing what are you making of all of this as, as a psychologist
2: yeah i was just thinking back to some research we did i think about a couple of years ago we looked at um marathon runners and motivations to to, to run marathons and one of the things that is isn't that in the literature that much but it, it it's kind of in a, a little bit is around altruism which is what you're talking about there this idea that you're doing it for someone else um and for me i don't think altruism's research that much but there's a but it's a huge motivator for, you know, finishing an event. So forget about the pace that you're running and um, kind of and what, what position you're gonna finish. You are, it's this like kind of need to finish the event for the reason, for, for others, for the charity that you're running for, for the people on your t-shirt. Um, and yeah, I was just thinking about how it's such an under kind of discussed area but if you think about all the charity events that are kind of put on throughout the, the world in terms of endurance, that a, more, a lot of people will do endurance events to raise money and, and for charities. Um, so, yeah, it'd be. I, I mean, I'm just thinking out loud, but thinking about Noel Brick's work would be cool to bring in that dimension of altruism with these different attentional focus kind of frameworks and look at how that, links into that.
1: I'm here with Dr. Amy Whitehead and Greg Hewitt. And we're talking about the psychology of endurance. Uh, this is 80% Mental. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on endurance. Um, what are your strategies? What are your go to skills that you use to get you through some of those longer events? You can comment on the website, 80%Mental.com, uh, or you can follow us on Twitter at EPM Podcast or Instagram at 80% Mental. It's all words. Um, before we we finish, what I'd be really interested to hear from from both of you really is what have you learned about yourself from doing these type of events, from pushing yourself to your your limits, from doing things that you didn't think that you, maybe you'd be able to do. Um, Amy, I'm going to come to you first. What have you learned about yourself from from getting into endurance events? I
2: think the first thing is that there is no limit. <laughs> um, I think we put our own limits on ourselves. Um, I won't go too much into it, but I come from quite a working class, um, patriarchal background <laughs> where there is a lot of limits put onto people. Yeah, sure. um, so I was told that you don't want to do that. It'll damage your body. Um, you know, women shouldn't be doing things like that. But I think throughout my life, like, I think maybe that's driven me and and that, as long as we put the training in and we, we make time and, and we kind of, you know, plan effectively, then there are no limits to, to what we can do. Um, but then on top of that, you know, social support is really important. Um, being part of a network. So we, one thing I haven't talked about and but Greg alluded to is this, um, this you're part of a club. You're part of a, this Marathon Disab club or an ultra running club or triathlon club, even if you're not cycling with all these people all the time or training with them, you are part of this exclusive club. Um, and feeling that I that, that sense of identity is so important. Um, so yeah, I think not, having that sense of identity and that social belonging and have, and learning that there's, there's technically there is no limits. Yeah. That, that's probably my take home message. I
1: love that. Prepare effectively and there's no, no limits. Greg, what about you? What what have you learned about yourself from from putting yourself through these things?
0: Uh I'm probably as awkward as my mum always said I was. Uh, <laughs> fact, well, what do you been, mean by that? Well, she I think so when she sponsored me, I think her message was, You've always been determined, you'll go and um, you'll go and do this. Mm-hmm. Um I kinda you know, I reflected on that quite a bit because, you know, you it's interesting. Um, and talking with a friend about it at the weekend, and um, you know, he, he always refers to me as being really mentally tough. And I don't actually kind of get that on, on what that is. And, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, we were chatting and say because, you know, how you see things is your reality and whatever, and how people perceive you as well is, is very... it's That's very different. Not always how you want to be or not always how you see yourself. So I kind of... It's, it's been a kind of weird one there that um, I wouldn't say I see myself as mentally tough. I'd probably see myself as awkward um, in a... <laughs> no, I, yeah, but I have that natural thing where when someone says you can't do that, <laughs> um, I want to go out and prove them wrong. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think you discover who you really are and absolutely. I mean, I I said earlier on, you know, I want to see what's possible, and I'm with Amy that I think, you know, if you want to do it and you're prepared to to work hard enough, you you can do whatever you want, um, you know. And at times there can be there can be limits in terms of actually how much effort you can put in if you're not, you know, because time becomes a constraint as much as anything, and and then mm. and money and whatever. So. Yeah, um I think you know, anything truly is possible. And I think you I've certainly understood how much a support network is important as well. You know, I think my my girlfriend kinda lives and breathes it and uh vicariously through a lot of this and um, I get as much enjoyment about watching her thrive off it as I probably do myself. And I, but that then motivates me when I'm in the race. So yeah, it's yeah, sorry. It, it's kind of weird. I'm still kind of reflecting on it while we're going. I kind of haven't seen yeah, no, of one coming as a question. It's, um, yeah, it's a good question. And probably what I'm going to keep thinking about. So.
1: Well, I, I think that's it though, isn't it? It's perhaps an ongoing process, process of reflecting on doing these things. And it's not a case of, oh, I've learned this about myself now. I'm going to go and get on with the rest of my life. It's just this sort of ongoing <laughs> reflection. So, uh, no, thank you. I appreciate that answer. Um, Amy let's talk advice. Okay. So, you know, you gave some strategies, some, some tips earlier, um, advice for, uh, athletes who are thinking about getting into this type of thing, but also maybe some advice for psychologists who might want to work with, uh, endurance athletes.
2: Oh, good. So the second question about advice with <clears throat> spot psychologists, go and try endurance yourself. um, <laughs> And that might not sit well with a lot of people, (laughs) but I do. So like I'm having this conversation with Greg now and I'm thinking, you know, I've not been, you know, to them levels of of endurance, but I'll, I'll do research in them levels of endurance. And so for example, I stuck a GoPro on a a colleague of mine who was doing a a hundred uh, mile race through the Alps. So, (laughs) And got him to talk through his kind of thought processes as he's going, um, and I'm constantly asking, you know, for how 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 do you feel at these points? And I'm trying to pull from from experience. So yeah, I think even if you know you're a, you're not a runner, go and try. Just just go out and see how it how it feels to gain some perspective. And um, but in terms of strategies one thing that um, I haven't mentioned which I think is really important is being kind to ourselves so I think that goes back to the whole gratitude thing but you know we've put a lot of effort we've, we we've worked hard we've got to an event and things don't always work out but if they don't work out we can be quite horrible to ourselves and um, and that's going to have a huge detriment and for the rest of the performance so, I always talk about this idea of being kind and rationalising. So you're 50 miles in, you're not the time you want to be, but tell yourself it's okay. Okay, what can we do about it? We could try these things to maybe speed speed us up. But if it doesn't work out, it's okay. We're still good people. <laughs> We're still in, in a beautiful country, and um, you know, doing this beautiful event that you know we love, and it's okay um because there's worse things going on in the world yeah. so it's kind of yeah that's something that i think I, I try a lot to get my athletes to to kind of come to terms with or just to to use as a, as a strategy
1: so a bit of kindness and self-compassion for athletes exactly. and for psychologists yeah. go out and try it get yourself on a bike or get yourself running up mountains um Greg, what about you? Uh, you? You talked about going back to do this again in a couple of years. Um, what advice would you give yourself or, or, or other athletes who are thinking of, of undertaking something like this?
0: Um, I, I think just commit to it. Um, I, I, like I said, you know, at the start I said you know I jumped into it in stupidity, but then was like, right, I've got to make this work now. <laughs> Um, yeah. And then you, you you can't go into it half-hearted. So, you know, truly commit to it and in every sense, you know, get do the, the best that, that is available to you in terms of training coaching. But just go out and try and enjoy it, you know. And, it, you know, I think that sits in with the kindness. Um, and there can be bits as well where... I've had some of the best chats um, with people while I'm in you know these races, you know, and stuck in uh, stuck in the middle of the Mazuga sand dunes, which are well worth googling just for the imagery. They're they're in loads of Hollywood films because they're, they're that picturesque. Well, they're picturesque, and you're not running through them. Um, <laughs> um, but having a chat with a guy who was um, he was in the next tent to me. And we were chatting about, he trains uh, pilots. And just talking about air traffic safety and landing planes, <laughs> and it, it was the most random thing. But, you know, it's one that I, I you know I still think back. And we took a couple of photos in these dunes that, you know, they're, they're there, so throw yourself in because you, you might not get out what you think you're going to get, but you'll get yeah. some, some really good things. So just just commit to it and do it and stop worrying about it. You will suffer along the way, you know, and Peter, I hope you take Amy's uh, advice and actually commit to an endurance event and and let us know how it's (laughs) it's going. I think that'd be a really interesting uh, follow-up on the podcast, but um, you know, just commit to it, enjoy it. And um, yeah, you are going to suffer, but that feeling afterwards is phenomenal.
2: Greg, you've inspired me. I'm signing off. Oh, that's
0: very kind. And uh, I'm glad you, (laughs) thank you for that. Well, you heard it here
1: first 2024 greg and amy doing the marathon Salves together you committed to it now uh, are you in pizza? I, didn't,
2: I didn't commit to the year
1: okay so you got back out now <laughs> um guys I, we, we're coming towards the the end of the time that we've uh, we've got this morning the, the only thing left to do really is to thank you both for Uh, coming on the 80% Mental Podcast. I've learned a load. I hope our listeners have learned a lot. So thank you so much, uh, Dr. Amy Whitehead.
2: Thank you, Greg. And thank you, Pete, for having me on.
1: And thank you to a dear friend of mine who I don't spend anywhere near enough time with, uh, Greg Hewitt.
0: Thank you both. I really, really appreciate your time.
1: Well, what a fantastic start to this third series of 80% mental. I learned a lot from talking with Amy and Greg about the psychology of endurance. We talked about what motivates people to take up this type of event in the first place. What motivates people to push themselves to their limits or their perceived limits. We talked about different strategies and skills that athletes can use, both in preparation for these types of events, but also during them as well. Dividing races up into chunks, the different types of self-talk that athletes can use to get them through, thinking about reasons as to why they may be doing it, and gratitude as well, and self-compassion were all different things that athletes might use in order to be successful at these events. But the big key for me was just enjoying them. There's so many different elements that go into performance here that actually focusing on the processes becomes much more important than usual. Enjoying what you're doing is the key to getting something out of it. And I loved what Greg said at the end there about what you might get out of it isn't necessarily what you thought you might. Well, I hope you've taken something useful or interesting from this episode, whether you're an athlete or even a coach or a psychologist or somebody who just is interested in watching uh, endurance events. Don't forget you can listen and subscribe at 80percentmental.com. You can follow us on Twitter at EPM Podcast or on Instagram at 80% Mental. Again, 80% Mental is all words. Leave a comment, leave a tweet. Tell us about your experiences of endurance events. Maybe you're an endurance athlete yourself and you've got some different strategies. We'd love to hear from you. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of 80% Mental and I'll see you next time. Well, I won't see you. It's a podcast.